0: Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 18. Well, with 20 minutes on the timer, Absalom, the traitor, is dead. The king's son who had raised a rebellion against him, was killed by Joab, the commander of the king's armies, against the king's expressed wishes. David told all of his men and the commanders of his men in the presence of everybody very publicly, Do not harm my son. And yet, when Absalom was cornered, Joab, the commander of the army, ordered him killed. Now Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, let me run and take the news to the king that the Lord has vindicated him by delivering him from the hand of his enemies. You are not the one to take the news today, Joab told him. You may take the news another time, but you must not do so today because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, go and tell the king that what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed before job and ran off. Then Ahimaaz said, the son of Zadok said again to Job, come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, my son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring a reward. And he said, come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, run. Then Ahimaaz went by way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So what's going on here is you might remember that Haimaz uh, was uh, sort of a messenger, that he was running uh, between the king's people in Jerusalem uh, and reporting to him on what was going on and giving him intelligence about the intentions of uh, Absalom and the, and the people who were with him in this coup. And... So he had kind of a role as a runner. And maybe he had gotten used to kind of being the guy to give the king information. Uh, maybe he was just legitimately excited. He's a young guy. And and he sees it as the Lord has vindicated the king. You know, people had risen up against him. People had thought, oh, God's going to take the kingdom away from David, just like he took the kingdom away from Saul. But Haimath says, no, the Lord's vindicated him. And then he's shown that Absalom was a wicked man and that um that he has not prevailed and God's hand has been with David and he just wants to share that news. He's so excited. But Joab knows the reality. He knows David. He knows that the king is not going to be happy that his son is dead. So he says, hey, why are you going? Why do you want to go? You're not going to get anything out of this. There's going to be no points given for the person who brings this kind of news to the king. So he sends a Cushite an unnamed Kushite. Now, uh, really cynically, you could say, oh, he's sending somebody who it doesn't matter if that guy gets in trouble for bringing bad news. Um, And that could be what's going on. It just also could be that, um, you know, this guy is probably somebody who, he's not not Jewish, he's a foreigner, but he's come to live among the Jewish people. And so it could be that this guy is somebody who, um, he's not going to have his long-term prospects hurt, just the way it works out. Uh, Joab says, hey, we'll send this guy, uh, um, and the king's not going to feel like there was any kind of palace intrigue going on because this guy's not going to get a, a position um, based off of the, the death of Absalom. Not right, not good, just how it was. But Haimaz was young, he's exuberant, and he's so excited, plus he's from the area. And so he outruns the Cushite with his, with his exuberance, and maybe, you know, he knows a shortcut. So then... It says that David was sitting, verse 24, between the inner and the outer gates of the city, and the watchman went up on the roof of the gateway by the wall. And as he looked out, he saw a man running alone, and the watchman called out to the king and reported it. And the king said, if he's alone, he must have good news. And the runner came closer and closer. So David's thinking is, look, if there was a defeat, we wouldn't just have one person coming. We would have all of the you know, people trying to escape the battle coming so that we could know, get their families to get out but it's just one person coming. We must have had good news. We won the battle. Something good happened. And then the watchman saw another runner and he called down to the gatekeeper. Look, another man running alone. And the king said, well, he must also be bringing good news. Hey, the first person came with good news, but then more good news happened. There's an update. So they sent a second runner. Okay, that's good. The watchman said, it seems to me that the first one runs like a the son of Zadok. He's a good man. The king said he comes with good news. And then Ahimaaz called out to the king, all is well. And he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up those who lifted their hands against my lord the king. And the king asked, is my son Absalom, the young man Absalom, is he safe? Ahimaaz answered, I saw great confusion just as Joab was about to send the king's servant and me, your servant, but I don't know what it was. And the king said, well, stand aside and wait here. So he stepped aside and stood there. Let's put it another way. Ahimaaz lies. He gets there, and it finally clicks for him what Joab was trying to say. It finally clicks for him what Joab was trying to say. The king doesn't care that we won the battle. The king doesn't care that his kingdom and his throne is saved. He cares about the well-being of his son. And it clicks for him, and so he lies, because he doesn't want to be the one to tell the king that his son is dead. I wonder sometimes, you know, uh, Joab's trying to speak into his life. And maybe Ahimaaz didn't want anything to do with Joab. Joab wasn't always a great guy. Joab had killed Absalom against the orders of a king. And yet, I wonder sometimes who God is trying to use to speak into our lives that we just don't want to listen to. So he lies. He goes, stands over there. Then the Cushite arrives. My lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. And the Cushite's saying, no, he's he's gone, and I hope all of your enemies have the same fate. And the king was shaken, and he went up to the room over the gatehouse and wept, and he went, and he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, I think there should be an understanding that much of the dialogue in the scripture is a sort of a recap, right? Um, some of it might have been recorded. Some of it certainly might have been recorded by scribes and uh, officials, um, people who were writing down the teachings of Jesus. Um, you know, we, we know that the, you know, the, the letters, the epistles, those kind of things are more direct, but, but some of the dialogue is, is recapped. My feeling here is that this is a direct quote, that David said these words verbatim that it was so known in Israel how Herod responded that somebody wrote it down directly. That's just an opinion, um, but, but it's what I think. Verse 1, chapter 19, Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said the king is grieving for his son. And the men stole into the city that day as men who steal in are ashamed when they flee from battle. And the king covered his face and cried aloud, "O my son, Absalom, O my son, Absalom, my son. And then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. And you have made it clear today that the commander and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than if all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. So the king got up and took his seat by the gateway, and when the men were told the king is sitting by the gateway, they all came before him. Meanwhile, the Israelites fled to their homes. Joab is not a guy, a character in the Bible that I look up to. Joab isn't a guy who I go, oh, I've got a lot of respect for that guy. Joab isn't someone who um, who I think we should emulate. But in this moment, he is exactly the person that the king needs. Again, I said earlier, who is trying to speak into our lives that we just don't want to listen to? God, you can use anybody else to speak into my life. What if God says, I want to use that person? Joab's not somebody we look up to. And we have this tendency right now in our culture, if somebody is speaking truth, but we're conservative and they're liberal. We're liberal, they're conservative. We're young, they're old. We're old, they're young. You know, we're, we're, we're educated, they're uneducated. We, we don't have all the degrees and we don't trust anybody who's got a lot of degrees because they're just, you know, whatever. We have all these biases against people. But in this moment, Joab is speaking the truth. And this is dangerous, by the way. The king's an unstable place. What if the king finds out that it's Joab who killed Absalom and has Joab killed? But Joab is doing exactly the right thing. First of all, it's brutal. But if you raise up a rebellion like Absalom did, you cannot be allowed to live. That's just a, real, a harsh reality of that sort of sist- uh, hereditary uh, monarchical government. But also, as David grieved his son, he's dishonoring his men that fought for him. He's dishonoring the people who stayed loyal to him. Because in their culture, he's giving honor to the traitor. He's giving honor to the one who's caused them pain and hardship. And instead of honoring the troops who fought for him who are coming back, he's off in another room weeping. And you might say, Adam, that sounds harsh. His son has died. Well, first of all, Joab makes a really good point. All of David's other sons and his daughters and his wives and his concubines were under threat for their very lives. You are grieving your son Absalom, but you were forgetting that every other son that you have and daughter and wife and concubine were going to die if Absalom didn't die. There comes a point where you just say, like, when are you going to call this evil? When are you going to do the right thing here, David? This whole thing goes back to David's inaction. You might remember the story, you know, that Absalom was... A terrible person. Sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. I want to pull back a little bit. Absalom was a bad guy, but we're, we're back there. David's uh, other son was a terrible person. And when he raped his own half-sister, David did nothing about it. And then Absalom waited in the tall grass, as they say. And when the opportunity was right, Absalom killed his half-brother to bring justice and vengeance for his sister. And David did nothing. And David was passive, and David was passive. And then Absalom raises up a rebellion against him, and David kind of skulks away. And when it's time to win the battle, David's like, don't harm him, don't harm him. As if he cares more about this one son than any other son that he has. He cares more about his one son than every person who has stood with him. Sometimes we have to know when the moment we are standing in is. I I believe this firmly. Um, I, I believe, for example, we should forgive people. We should offer grace. We should offer mercy. But, but, there is lines and safety has to be in place. For example, um, you know, uh, we've never had to deal with it at this church, but I've had to deal with it at other churches I've been in part of. Somebody comes who has a conviction for abusing children. And they say, I want to come to church. What can I do? And so, oh, we we need to show grace. Sure, with a lot of rules. Because protecting the children in the church is more important. And here's the thing. I have heard story after story after story of churches that didn't do that. They showed grace, so-called, to abusers, to predators, to people who took advantage of others and they left people exposed to be victimized. We have to know when the right moment is. Yes, show grace, have forgiveness. All of these things are true. It would be one thing if David, you know, said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to exile you, but because of my great love for you, Absalom, I'm, you killed your brother, but I'm not going to uh, execute you. I get it. The whole thing but he didn't. Absalom raises up arms for him, and he's more concerned. You see what I'm saying is we have to be concerned about the people who are defenseless and helpless. David's more concerned for his son than he is for the other sons and daughters and family members and so on who, who Absalom is trying to kill. We have to know the moment we're in and where the real, opportun- where the real obligations are. I'm going to stop there because I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble or I will reveal um, some stories that, again, not about faith on hill. We fortunately, by the grace of God, never had to deal with that. But I'm I'm just going to move on. So then David goes out, does the right thing. Joab is his guy in this moment. Joab keeps things going. I want to say on the other side, you know what? Sometimes we have to kind of step in there for people we care about for friends, for family, where, where, they're, where they're not able to carry the load for a while. Sometimes we just have to be there for people. And that's what Joab's kind of doing. He's taking care of what needs to be done because the king's not able to do it. Now it says that the Israelites fled to their homes. That is, there was this kind of understanding that David's people stuck with him. Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Simeon, uh, the Levites sided with the king. Interestingly, this is kind of the division later on, when the kingdom of Israel was divided. Several generations later, the the division here sort of is a precursor to the division when Israel is divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and you you kind of see a little hand of the um, the priests and the scribes after the Babylonian captivity here, uh, as they're they're kind of inserting this, you know, like hey. Uh, you know, that, that was kind of how the battle lines were drawn. Throughout the tribes of Israel, all the people were arguing among themselves, saying the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he has fled the country to escape from Absalom. And Absalom, who we anointed to rule over us, died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So there was sort of this argument happening throughout the nation. Um, you know, the King David was a good guy. Um, and he delivered us from our enemies and, and he brought a lot of good things. But then we went and anointed his son to be the replacement and he's dead now. Um, but, you know, the king wasn't super strong when Absalom was alive. So what do we do here? And then David sent messengers to Zadok and Abathar, the priests. And he said, ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace? Since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters. You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood. Why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you are not the commander of my army for life in place of Joab. So he went over the hearts of the men of Judah, so that they were all of one mind, and they sent word to the king, Retur- Return you and all your men. And then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal, and they had come out to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, remember this is the guy that was throwing stones at David as he left Jerusalem. The Benjamite from Barim hurried down with the men of Judah to meet David the king. With him were a thousand Benjamites along with Zeba, the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. And they rushed to the Jordan where the king was and they crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and do whatever he wished. And when Shimei, son of Ger, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, now know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed the lord's anointed. David replied, what does this have to do with you, you son of Zeriah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Let's pause for a minute. So what's happening here is the the Benjamites, they've come down, but but Shimei was like, hey, um, I was wrong. Whether he's sincere or not, I have no way of knowing. None of us would know. Is he sincere in his repentance or is he just trying to save his own skin or is it a little bit of both? Who knows? David is being gracious here. He's being political. Let's not kid ourselves too. He's decided that he will not be um, vindictive and he's going to let some things go. This young guy comes and says, I'm going to kill him. And David's like, this isn't your business. Just like... Uh, you know, Joab was the man the king needed. There's times where it's like, mind your own business, right? This is my business, whether I forgive or don't, right? There, there's a little bit, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and there was um, stuff going on and, and I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, you know, it's, it's, and it was stuff in his family. And he said, you know, it's really my mom's decision to make. It's not mine. He had kind of a recognition of, of where he's at. And so, you know, it's like, when do I get involved in something? When don't I? I always just think, what do I have an obligation towards? Uh, do I have an obligation towards my wife and my kids? Well, I'll get involved. Do I have an obligation towards the church? Then I'll get involved. Um, but, you know, if it's outside of my obligations and, and it was outside of, uh, of Abishai's obligations, this is David's call. Um, now, you, you do see people coming. Um, now, this whole thing about touching the Lord's anointed we've talked about before. Uh, there have been pastors and church leaders who have used this as some sort of thing, like you can't ever speak out about something wrong going into the church. You can't ever say anything uh, critical or disagreeing with a pastor or a church leader. Um, I, I think that's how cults start cults of personality if nothing else bad things happen there um, that's a very nuanced conversation I think there is something about the Lord's anointed and at the same time I think that there's been a lot of bad teaching so uh, that's something we'll probably come back to at some other point but if you have a question about it you can ask me and then Mephibosheth Saul's grandson also went down to meet the king He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he returned safely. Now, remember, we were told he had betrayed the king. And when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, my lord, the king, since your servant is lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and I will ride on it to go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. And he has slandered your servant before my lord, the king. And my lord, the king is like an angel of God. So do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death for my lord the king but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table so what right have i have to do to make any more appeals to the king and then the king said to him what say why say more i order you and ziba to divide the land and so mephibosheth said to the king let him take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely we'll pause there because our time is up i'll just close by saying this is mephibosheth was he had he really abandoned the king my, my guess is that he hadn't that's my personal guess. Um, and yet it seems like there's some injustice happening. I think what David's saying here is, I, I don't know the answer to this. So he's trying to be as fair as he can. Um, sometimes there's no good solutions. And I think that's one of the challenges that we come to in our world. We're trying to figure things out. And then we're saying, well, how can we fix this? What can we do? And the truth is that sometimes there is just no good solution. All that we can do is pray that God would give us grace to go forward. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. You can also find these on our website, faithonhill.com. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. My name's Adam, and we'll see you again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.